Good morning, everybody. Uh, today's lesson is taken from um, Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to get right into it because I don't want to waste a bunch of time because I usually go over and uh, you all know how that is. So um, I want to get to several things here and hopefully we can uh, get everything in. Uh, it's funny listening to the messages my, or the lessons myself, and I can hear sometimes, you know, some of the things I say or the way I say it, and it's like, okay, I could have done that better. And so I appreciate if you want to uh, comment or feedback, I appreciate anything you might want to say. It's always good to know that somebody's uh, paying attention and listening, so uh, um, be sure to make some kind of comment if or, or like if you're listening online or the podcast or something like that. Uh, but again, today's lesson is taken from Luke 17, verses 7, uh, verses 11 through 19, and um, the title of our lesson is Jesus Heals the Ten Lepers. The session outline says this, it says, infirmity leads to desperate cries, to Jesus for mercy, healing leads to a grateful heart, and faith leads to a greater salvation. Uh, Jesus healed ten lepers who called for help, but saved one who had faith, and that's an um, important thing to note in this lesson. Just a side note before we get started in this, in regards to this, I want you to think about your prayer life. Um, when do you pray most often and for what? Just write that down and give it some thought. And ask yourself in that, am I a thankful person? Do I have an attitude of gratitude, uh, you might say? Um, here's a story that the lesson puts out that I wanted to read. It says, a few years ago, I preached a sermon. That's well, just the, the writer of this lesson. It says, I preached a sermon on Psalms 100, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. The topic was perfect for the Sunday after Thanksgiving holiday. During part of our small group time in the week following, we discussed the sermon. And our group came to the starting, startling realization that we weren't particularly grateful people. And he says, goes on and he says, Yes, we thank the Lord when we prayed together and often when we prayed privately. And yes, we had good manners. We thanked all who served in some way, or big or small. But there is a difference between saying thank you and being grateful. You know... Uh, as well as I do, that sometimes a thank you is just the expected thing to say. Like answering fine to those who ask how you're doing. Saying thanks can simply be the final step in a conversational ritual with little or no thought behind it. Good little thought. It goes on and it says this, it says, with every fiber of our being, we should... Uh, uh, we should thank God for everything in our lives through all the good and the bad. And it lists First Thessalonians 5.18. My dad would uh, definitely uh, note that one because it says, in, every, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. doesn't say in some things, in all things, in the things that you like or the things you don't like. It says in everything, give thanks. Um, you think of the Lord's Prayer. And how does it begin? You know, it, it begins with an attitude of gratitude, a thankful heart, a grateful heart. It goes on and it says, not merely paying lip service, every good and perfect gift is from him, as James 1.17 says, 
and he is sovereign over everything, Romans 8.28. Therefore, we should have an attitude of gratitude and should cultivate this mindset. In this session, we're going to read about a small crowd of lepers who were the outcasts of society. They were ceremonially unclean, desperate for healing, and in a situation that everyone looked at them as, you belong out there, okay? If you've ever felt alienated, separated, Mm -hmm. cast cast out, um, this lesson is for you. So... Luke 17, 11, verses 11, 12, and 13 say this. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, one of the things you first notice about these lepers, as we'll look at in a little bit, is that they were um, uh, mostly Jewish, apparently, but there was at least one Samaritan in there. We'll find out later. Um, And Jesus points that out. But they were brought together by their common plight. Normally, they would not associate with each other. In normal society at that time, these nine Jewish men would not have associated with that Samaritan. Okay, But because they all suffered from leprosy, they were together. And you also notice that, um, well, uh, before I put put that, uh, someone put out a thing that said that it's like uh, uh, stories about animals during uh, disastrous times, whether it's a fire or a flood or something like that. Uh, There's a story of one time where um, there was found wolves and deer hovering together in a common area because of a flash flood that was going through. They went to a high, all went to a high point to, uh, for safety. And normally, you know, the only time a wolf and a deer are close together is if the deer's in the wolf's mouth, you know, type of thing. But, but in this case, um, they found them together uh, uh, for their own safety. This is a similar situation with uh, the ten lepers, the Jewish and the Samaritan. Um, but also it mentions, um, it says here that they stood at a distance. Um, they were required to because they were outcast. I was looking at um, a reference about uh, what it meant to be an outcast in society in various uh, cultures. And going all the way back to ancient Greece, the Athenians had a procedure in which they, uh, which all the citizens could write a person's name on a shard of broken pottery called a ostraka and place it in a large container in a public place. And if an individual's name was written down a sufficient number of times, I don't know how much a sufficient number equated to, but a sufficient number of times, he was ostracized. He was, in other words, he was banished from the city for 10 years. That was in ancient Greece. Well, here in Jesus' time, these outcasts, um, were um, uh, considered to have a self-imposed social exile. They were to leave their family. They were to live outside the city, to live outside the wall, to stand away. They could not um, uh, 
being anywhere near anyone uh, who didn't have leprosy. And uh, they were also to cry out, unclean, unclean. Uh, as Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 talks about, including they were supposed to wear uh, torn clothes, let their hair grow. Uh, and like I said, as anyone come by, they were required to yell out, unclean, unclean. So again, they could not go uh, through the temple sacrifices or rituals or anything like that, and they were um, considered the outcasts of society. Um, now, I was looking at um, uh, some of the other things about leprosy and this um, and how it's viewed, and it, leprosy still exists today. Uh, it still exists today, but it's different in how it's handled. It's known as um, Hansen's disease, uh, but I want to read a little bit here. It says, today's, our lesson points out, says, today's lepers are not like those in ancient times. Since 1995, the World Health, Health Organization has been providing free medicine to treat this disease. It is thankfully no longer considered a public health threat. Um, but I was, I was looking up some other things, and it says here about leprosy, and I wish I could show you some pictures. Uh, well, Probably, you probably wouldn't want me to show you some pictures. Uh, but um, it goes on, it says that it, uh, this uh, long-term infection is, is by a bacteria that can lead to the damage to the nerves, the respiratory tract, skin, and the eyes. The nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain, which can lead to the loss of parts of a person's extremities. Uh, oftentimes, you'll find out that lepers, you know, they're... they're um, their fingers and toes and stuff are kind of worn down, worn out. Uh, it causes uh, cartilage deterioration in the nose, so the nose is usually kind of dampered. You know, they lose hair and stuff, so they have no eyebrows, and it's kind of, you know, uh, sunken, sullen face. And uh, besides the, the blotches and everything that you have um, along with it, Leprosy symptoms may begin within one year, but for some people, symptoms may take up to 20 years to occur. Um, today, leprosy is curable with a multi-drug therapy. In 2018, there were 209,000 leprosy cases uh, known globally, down from 5.2 million in 1980. Uh, most... Uh, New cases occur in 14 countries, with half of those being in India, and about half, about 200 cases per year are reported in the United States. Um, some of the symptoms of it, as I kind of mentioned, but you have skin lesions, uh, a diffuse thickening of facial skin, uh, the ears, the hands. Uh, usually they are kind of like the nose, and everything is all kind of worn down, worn out. Uh, and loss of it. Uh, they have a loss of sensation in the fingers and toes, thickening of the peripheral nerves. Uh, it's one thing, a lot of times they don't realize that, you know, if something hot hits their fingers, whatever, you lose the nerve control, you don't have the sensory perception. And uh, the flat nose is due to the destruction of the nasal cartridge. And also because of uh, things like that, you have the the phonation and resonation of sound during speech, so they kind of, you know, talk funny. It sounds a little bit different. Um, and uh, damage to the nerves may cause a loss, loss of mus muscle function, leading to paralysis in some cases. 
and it may also lead to the sensation abnormalities or numbness, which may lead to additional infections, ulcerations, or joint deformities. Um, it's a, a, a pretty sad thing. And in those days, in Jesus' time, uh, there was no cure. Um, and so we're going to note that uh, here in just a little bit. But I wanted to uh, note a couple stories before I did about this. Is One uh, is a, a man named Malcolm Muggridge, um, who uh, was a great uh, story writer and reporter and stuff that he had um, mentioned one time uh, an example of, of himself. Uh, he said he one time saw a woman bathing way off in the distance across this river. And I don't remember exactly where it was. And he says he thinks of all the things that start begin to go in his mind. And, um, the, uh, and he begins to swim toward this woman, thinking of all the possibilities of what could happen and stuff and everything, and just letting his mind think all these uh, lustful thoughts and, and things that shouldn't be entering his mind but were. And as he gets close, to, uh, close enough to this woman, he looks up, and he realizes that he's looking in the face of a leper. And she was astonished and surprised that he was there and anywhere close to her. And he says, no, no fingers, you know, no eyebrows, the nose was sucking, as I mentioned before, and some of those things. And, just, and he, he says, just a hideous sight of an individual and he said his first thought was, what, what a lecherous woman. And then God spoke to him and he says, it's not the woman who is lecherous, but your own heart that is lecherous. Because of you know, the sin that had taken his thought and his mind into doing what he did. And I thought of another story here, um, and I... I I'll just want to touch on this, but you might have heard of a man named Joseph Damien. Some people refer to him as Father Damien. He was a Catholic priest in the uh, uh, 1800s who he was recognized for his ministry, which led from 1873 to 1889. And he went to, ended up going to Hawaii and uh, ended up on the island of a little place called Molokai. You might have heard of it. Um, but Damien uh, cared for patients uh, there who were leprous and established leadership within the community and built houses, schools, roads, hospitals, churches. He dressed residents, ulcers. Uh, he dressed residents, ulcers, built a reservoir, made coffins, dug graves, shared pipes and ate poi by hand with them, providing medical and emotional support. After 11 years caring for the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of those in the leper colony, Damien, one morning, as it says, he was preparing to, to bathe, and he was boiling water to have some warm water in the tub and stuff, and he was pouring it in and stuff, and he, all of a sudden, he accidentally poured a little bit out, and it dropped on his foot. And he noticed that he didn't feel it. 
And just to double check, he poured just a little bit more just to make sure. And he realized that he had himself contracted leprosy. And he always used to have um, morning devotions with the people on the island of Molokai that uh, he would speak to. And he always began his devotions with these words saying, um, you know, welcome my fellow believers. But that morning in December of, uh, I think it was uh, 1884, he began his devotion with saying, welcome my fellow lepers. And um, Joseph Damien died about five years later in April of 1889. And in fact, uh, it's considered a, a holiday in Hawaii uh, to uh, many of the natives there. And they call it uh, Father Damien Day on April 15th uh, of every year. Um, but Damien was the youngest of seven children and the fourth son. And he had an older brother who was also a priest who was supposed to go to Hawaii, but became ill, and Joseph went in his place. And he spent all these years, he ended up spending 16 years, the last 16 years of his life, with these um, uh, lepers on the island of Molokai. And I was trying to read, let's see, um, some of the things that it said about him as he gave the people not only faith but also homes and his medical expertise. He would pray at the cemetery of the diseased and comfort at their dying, comfort the dying at their bedsides. And it was, uh, like I said, in 18 December of 1884 when he realized that he himself had contracted what he uh, uh, had been helping so many with over the past 11 years. In his last years, though, Damien didn't let once he was uh, contracted leprosy, he didn't let it slow him down. In fact, it sped him up. He tried to complete and advance as many projects as possible with his time remaining. Uh, but he died on March, uh, on April 15th at 8 a.m. Uh, in 1889 at the age of 49 years old. The next day uh, at his memorial, service, the procession, says the whole settlement uh, on Molokai gathered uh, to the cemetery uh, to pay honor to Joseph Damien. He was laid to rest on the same uh, tree where he first slept under at his arrival at Molokai. In 1936, at the request of the king of Belgium, his body was exhumed and taken to Belgium and laid to rest uh, where in his native homeland, um, but in 1995, June of 1995, uh, they, they took his right hand, the skeletal of his right hand, and took it back to Molokai and placed it in the original grave where he died, uh, where that the remains of his right hand are to today, um, as an honor and a tribute to what he did. Uh, those in those years um, with the Molokai uh, lepers. I say that because 
you look at this lesson and you see a people who uh, in this eyes of society are outcast and they are kind of looked down on and alienated and in every way um, desperate uh, for love, for healing, for restoration, um, for someone to care. And Jesus comes along and they see him and they know who he is. How, I don't know. But they cry out to him and say, have mercy on us. And if you look in verses 14 through 16, it says this, when he, talking about Jesus, saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face, giving him thanks. Now he was a, what? Samaritan. Now, one of the first things that Jesus does, the first thing that Jesus says, is to go show yourselves to the priest. Now, this was the first step that they would have had to have taken to be restored into normal society. Okay? So what they would do is if someone was healed, and notice this, they weren't healed yet. Okay? Where does it say? It says, and as they went they were cleansed. So Jesus is saying this, and they're not healed yet, okay? He's, in essence, requiring them to act, act in faith and obedience to go, and then they're healed, okay? Um, but they would go to the priest, and then the priest would isolate them in a room somewhere for seven days. He would examine them at first, make sure they didn't show signs of having anything wrong or anything unclean with leprosy or otherwise and then he he would uh, isolate them for seven days and then check recheck them at the end of seven days and if they still look cleansed then they would go through a ritual bathing and uh, a sacrifice which in involved shaving every part of their body clean eyebrows everywhere and no hair at all on the body okay those were part of the sacrifice uh, ritual practices and bathing practices and sacrifices that they would have to do. And someone once said this, that leprosy rots man on the outside, but sin rots man on the inside. Okay? So one thing I want you to notice about this lesson is that ten men were healed on the outside, but only one on the inside. Okay? God did for uh, them, and he does for you, what is impossible for you, to cleanse you from your sin. There's the story um, in the next chapter of Luke, in eight, Luke 18. And if you want to look at that for a second, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And Luke 18, 18 says this, and this is going to go through verse 27. It says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure, treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was what? Very rich. And when, he, and when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And just before I go any further and read the last couple of verses on that, Jesus is talking about a literal needle, not uh, something that was known or possibly known as the uh, uh, eye of the needle gate, uh, because that would have been possible for man to do. He's talking about something that was impossible uh, for man to do. Um, and so, and that's why the disciples respond the way they did. It says, and those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Jesus says this, but he said the things which are impossible with men are what? Possible with God, right? God does for you what is impossible for you to cleanse you from your sin on the inside, okay? Now, we often look at all the things, and many times our prayer requests, and this is one of the reasons why I ask you about being a grateful person, think about your prayer life. What do you pray for? When do you pray? How often do you pray? Because you need to think about, am I simply praying for the things that are external in this life, you know, and how I'm feeling and my health and wealth and well-being, you know? Or am I sincerely concerned about what is truly I'm like on the inside and getting that whole and getting that uh, in right relationship with the Lord? Because we have things we struggle with and and we we when we are honest with ourselves a lot of times those are uh external things not necessarily the internal things that god is concerned with um and uh there's a verse in jeremiah 32 27 um that says is there anything too hard for god you know, there's, I want you to turn your Bibles always to the book of Leviticus for a second. Believe it or not, we're going to look at Leviticus. Um, but Leviticus chapter 14, I want you to see something here. I want you to remember that at this time, the Old Testament time and also in Jesus' time, um, there was no cure for leprosy. You know, today we have a multi-drug therapy and stuff is mentioned and stuff that we can deal with uh, diseases like that and people can uh, uh, be healed from it and, and live normal lives and stuff pretty much um, but in those days there was no cure but in Luke or in Leviticus chapter 14 verse 2 notice what it says it says well let's read verse 1 it says then the Lord spake to Moses saying uh, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Uh, you, you just read that, and you know, and and at first you can just you can just if you're just reading through Leviticus, you might read over that and never stop. But you have to remember, God is speaking of what? They're 
they're being made whole from this, cured from this disease, right? In the day of their cleansing, when they go through the ritual practices to be restored back into society, right? But there was no cure. So God is speaking of something that he would be doing miraculously. Now, um, you have to remember that um, at this time, as I said, there was no cure, but God in his mercy made the impossible provision possible. And again, that's why I said, um, you know, for what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, there's another story in Luke chapter 5. If I remember where it is, I want you to turn your Bibles real quick. This is today to look up, uh, have your Bible in hand and, and look some things up. But um, let me see if I can find where it was in Luke chapter 5. Let's see. Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, verse 12. In Luke 5, verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay. Then he put out his hand and what? Touched him. Now, he didn't do that here with the ten lepers. He totally told them to go, right, present yourselves to the priest. And as they went, not being touched, they were cleansed. But this case, he touched them saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, right? Now, the, one of the things that we need to point out about that is that God works in, in not only mysterious ways, but in a variety of ways. And in, aren't you glad, you know, that God works in different ways with different people in different times? You know, someone once said, uh, said here you have the foundations for two denominations, the he touched me's and the he touched me not's, okay? Um, because what do we do sometimes? People are people and, and we find, you know, uh, try to find our, our point of distinction that's going to set us apart from everybody else and make us the better Christian and stuff like that. Uh, there's people that take uh, Acts 2.38 and say, you must baptize in Jesus' name only, you know, not the Trinitarian Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and stuff like that, and, and they don't understand that they're taking that out of context. But nonetheless, uh, you had that. I heard uh, one pastor say, he said, I knew a church that split because of, of one, uh, one half of them wanted the piano on this side of the church and the other half wanted the piano on that side of the church. My father talks about how the, uh, you'd have church schisms over the color of the curtains and the windows, you know, and various other things like that. There's a story about a man that lived on an island and uh, he had three churches on this island. He was just all by himself. And they said, why in the, some, finally he was, he was rescued and they asked him, why in the world do you have three churches? He says, well, he says, that church is the one I used to go to. That church is the one I'm going to. And that church is the one I'm going to when I leave this one. You know, um, we find so many ways to not be grateful and not thankful for what God has done. And God has simply working in our lives in a variety of ways, and we need to have an attitude of gratitude. 
uh, someone has said, let's not put God in a box in how he works. Uh, if you can fully define God and how he ought to be or how he ought to work, I can tell you that is not the God of the Bible because our God is infinite and not able to be put in a box. Um, but nonetheless, he goes on and he says here in, in uh, Luke 17, verses 15 and 16, he says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Um, remember that for a second, because I want to read Jesus' response as well. In verses 17 through 19, Jesus answered, and he says, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to was no one found to return and give praise to God except what? I don't know. Depending on your translation, it's going to say either this foreigner or this stranger, something like that. Um, but it was the Samaritan, and he said to him, "Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well." Now, one of the things that we note here is that, as I said before, nine were physically healed. But only one was made whole within. So you could say that one, that nine, all ten were healed of their external physical infirmities. But there was only one that was actually saved. We so often take the things of God for granted and pause to give thanks. Um, I heard a message this week, uh, one pastor talking about this, and he says, he says it's like the voluntary and involuntary muscles in the body. If you, don't, if you ever never thought about that or looked it up, you ought to look it up. And there is such a description as voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles. Um, the voluntary muscles are all the muscles that are attached to the skeleton and controlled by your brain. Okay? The involuntary muscles are not attached to the skeleton, and not controlled by the brain. And it's as if God says to us, uh, that which your life depends upon, uh, God's going to control. Your heart, your lungs, um, your digestive system, everything uh, that matters, he's going to take, he, he controls. We don't think about the breath that we breathe. How often do we stop to give thanks to God for the life that we have? There's a verse in Scripture that says, In Him we live and move and have our being. God created your life. He gives you life. And He's promised you eternal life if you're a child of His as well. Um, and that's my sign to stop. But I'm going to go a few minutes longer. Sorry. Um, but how often do we stop to give thanks for simple things like that? We don't even take it. We take it so much for granted. And you think about your own life the things that God has provided for you and done for you and continues to do for you, but yet we simply take for granted. That upon which your life depends, he controls. The things that don't make too much difference, he lets you control. <laughs> we go on breathing, but we don't give thanks to God. Um, you know, it's uh, someone mentioned uh, the story of Belshazzar in Daniel 5 
you know, he's having that great party and, you know, thinking about all the things that he has and the things he's done. And what happens is all of a sudden the finger of God begins to write on the wall, right? Uh, letting him know who's really in control. Uh, someone has said one time we were quick to thank our lucky stars, but how, you know, how quick are we to thank God? Uh, I always think of, you know, a lot of Christians know their sign, you know, their zodiac sign, uh, the stars, which is totally fictitious and, uh, and, and man-made. But nonetheless, we pay so much attention to it as if we are fatalistically drawn to this particular bend, even though that's something that is man-made, it's not generated by God. But we spend so much and give so much honor and attention to it. Uh, you know, you go to a Chinese restaurant and you eat it, and what do you do? One of the things you do at the end of your meal, you open your fortune cookie, right? Um, and we pay attention to that. But how often are we reading the Word of God? and realizing that there is one who is intimately involved in our life and cares and controls and sustains our being. And how grateful or not grateful are we for what God does? We're so quick to blame God for everything that goes wrong. You know, something happened. In fact, the insurance terms they have sometimes, they describe acts of God, you know, uh, as, as if we blame God for what, you know, some disaster that happened. But how quick are we to thank him for all the good things that he does? I once wrote a paper on the book of Job called, the um, uh, question is not why do bad things happen to good people, what, why does anything good happen to bad people? And I remember when I said that, I had some Christians that were listening and laughed. And the reason I think that they laughed, I mean, besides just my play on words, was because down deep, we often think, I'm okay. I'm not that bad. And what does Scripture actually teach about us? It says things like in Jeremiah 17, 9, says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Romans chapter 3, that says that there is no one that is good. Right? We've all fallen short. Um, and... Um, and so it's, a, it's really something that you need to cultivate in your own mind is this attitude of gratitude. And remember, of these ten, only one came back. Now, I noticed something else too, and I won't, for sake of time, you can look this up, um, but in uh, Psalms 107, uh, verses 8, 15, 21, and 31, uh, David talks about uh, a heart of thankfulness uh, that you need to recognize. But also in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 21, uh, it talks about the day of wrath of God that will fall upon those who were never thankful, uh, like the kid falling down the side of the barn, and he's, and he's praying out, God help me, God help me, and all of a sudden uh, his pants get caught on a nail, and he says, oh, never mind, the nail caught me. Right? You know, um, that's sometimes the attitude that we have toward the things that God does, those involuntary actions that we have no control over, but God does, and we never think to stop and thank Him for what He's done. Have you ever thanked God for the fact that He saved you? Just fundamentally, you know, um, it's something that we take often for granted. Um, I know there was more, but I 
wanted to, uh, oh, yes, there was. The question for you today, and I'll end with this, is um, are you with the one or are you with the nine? It says, were there not, Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There's a song, that, an old hymn, and if you don't uh, familiar with these books, uh, you ought to look it up. Maybe if you come tomorrow or whatever, uh, or come next week, or if you have a hymnal maybe at home, uh, look it up and look up the song Count Your Blessings. And I want to finish with this song and just read to you uh, the verses and the chorus a little bit. But the verses go like this. It says, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly and you will be seeing as the days go by. When you look at others with their hand, lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. I would encourage you to do that uh, this week, and that's your homework. Um, in that Psalms passage that I mentioned, um, David was described as a person after God's own heart. And I don't think that that was so much about who David was, but I like the description, after God's heart. You need to develop yourself into a person who is pursuing God's heart. You are after God's heart. Okay? Um, and the, one of the ways you do that and the way it begins is having an attitude of gratitude. Thank you.